Howdy there, my fellow distanced fellows. This is Peyton Signago here with COVID Operation to bring you your daily dose of cheer. Happy Wednesday. I hope your week has been treating you well thus far. As per my usual hump day schedule, I have a very fun interview to share with you today. I'm being joined by an author. Ooh, very fun. So I will just, without much hesitation, throw it to myself in the studio for the introduction and for all of that very fun jazz. So I hope you enjoy. Take it away in the studio, Peyton. Thanks, Peyton. Today I'm here in my Zoom studio with a New York Times bestselling author known for his Iron Druid Chronicles and Seven Kennings trilogy. It's Kevin Hurd. So, hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Uh, so to kick things off and get it started, I thought I would start at, at your start. So how did you get started, you know, being an author? What, what's your writing origin story, if you will? No, well, I wanted to become a writer when I was uh, 19 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was in college, I was starting to read some stuff that was, uh, you know, a little bit more advanced and a little bit more fun than what you're, uh, you know, assigned in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I was seeing some very interesting voices being uh, delivered in some first-person narratives, and I thought that they were so cool. I wanted to learn how to do that myself because I thought that the characters are so vibrant that way. So I started to write at age 19. I did not complete a novel until I got to be 30 or so because, uh, you know, I had the day job. I was an English teacher for 17 years and I, I didn't find enough time to, to write. I didn't, I wasn't disciplined about it. I wasn't, uh, I was also unsure of what I was doing. But because I was an English teacher, I had this, you know, ego of, well, I'm an English teacher, so of course I know how to write. <laughs> and I don't need anybody to teach me how to do this. But writing a novel is such a different skill set from, you know, writing an essay in your, in your classes, right? <laughs> Well, I, I, I just didn't get that. So it took me a long time to actually finish a novel. The one that I fit, the first one that I finished, it took me six years to write. Uh, and it was terrible. <laughs> and it, it was just bad. It, it was a mountain full of cliches and it's just awful stuff. I, I wound up not getting that published at all. I just went on to write the second thing. And that was an epic fantasy. Now I'm trying to write in genre, but mm-hmm. I'm also using a ton of cliches because I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how this stuff works. And so I did get it done. That one what, took me three years instead of six years. And uh, it was also terrible because of the aforementioned cliches, okay? But uh, then after that, I started, I, I, I was reading a bunch of urban fantasy and I, I found it very fun because it allowed me to uh, enjoy the mashup of your modern culture with, you know, any sort of monsters or mythology you like. <laughs> And that's when I started writing Hounded, the first book of the Iron Druid Chronicles. That only took me 11 months, which is one of the ways that I knew that, you know, first, I've been, I'm better at the novel writing game. But second, I'm having so much fun and it was so much easier to write something that I was really, really into rather than trying to fit myself into what you know some other genre uh, wanted me to do that uh, I, I, I thought that this might be you know, something that, that, could, that could work. I got it done, and now I'm 39 years old, okay? So anybody who says, you know, oh, it's too late for me, 
nope, nope, it's not too late. In fact, a whole bunch of authors start later in their lives with their books. In fact, there was one that uh, I think is on the New York Times list for almost a year, and the lady is pushing 70, and that's her first book. You know, it just took a lifetime of experiences, and she put this out. Anyway, so I, I, I wrote Hounded. I sent it off to about 24 agents. 23 said no. One said yes. That's all you need, right? That agent took it out to nine different publishers. They, uh, four of them decided they wanted it and they had a little auction for it. And then I got to choose uh, which publisher I wanted to go with, which was a gigantic sort of luxury. Very fortunate there. So yeah, I, I sold the book in two weeks, but it only took me, you know, from age, you know, 20 years from age 19 to 39 to actually get that stuff done. So it's a very long path to publication, and I hope you, uh, you and your uh, your listeners have a much shorter path. But uh, recognize that everybody's path is so different, and mine is not typical because nobody's is typical. It's all very bizarre how it works out. There's obviously craft and skill to it, but there's also a good amount of luck in hitting the the, the market at the right time with the right story. So right. now, when when you're writing, where where do you draw your inspiration from? I know you talked about um, like epic fantasies to urban fantasies. Uh, what do your what do your ideas for your baseline novel? Where do they where do they blossom from? A lot of it's from nonfiction and from things I used to teach. A lot of my my urban fantasy is based on mythology, and also uh, I used to take religion courses in college. And then I've, I'm in general just sort of interested in those kinds of things in terms of nonfiction. So I read a lot of things that are out of genre, and uh, but all of those things, everything you, you read winds up kind of rummaging around in your brain there. Uh, when it's time for you to write, you have this store of words that you've read. And uh, the more widely you read, the the more experiences, uh, vicarious that they may be, you know, the, but the more experiences you bring to your own writing. So I get inspired by pretty much everything I consume, right? In TV shows and stuff like that, I had a lot of pop culture references in my novels. So um, my ideas come from all over the place because of what I consume. So, you know, people will talk about their influences and they'll, they'll name two or three, but honestly, people are often, you know, really influenced by everything that they encounter. So... So what would you say your your writing process looks like? Do, do you start more with like your characters or like yeah. world building? How does that work out? Well, some of those things go hand in hand, but yeah, it, it, it is always, the, the character is what should, I think, drive your plot. <laughs> and what does drive my plots, I started out with a dog because I like dogs. And uh, I really wanted to be able to have that dog talk but I didn't want that dog to be talking to like a witch or a wizard mm -hmm. because then it's a, an animal familiar and there's more of a master servant relationship, which I really didn't dig. I wanted them to be friends. So I thought, well, what sort of magical, you know, person would be able to speak to animals and think of them more as a friend than as some sort of subservient role. And uh, I came up with Druid and that got me researching Druids and figuring out that uh, there was very little about Druids that we knew for sure. So because the Druids didn't write anything down. So that meant that I could make up a whole bunch of stuff and nobody could tell me I was wrong because there's no, there's no <laughs> proof that, you know, that I'm wrong in that, in that sense. So that was nice. That was, uh, you know, an, an area where I could take some mythology and tweak things a little bit and, and just have a good time with it. 
and also have a person who's a friend uh, to the dog. So that's where Atticus and Oberon come from. And once I realized that I wanted to have a druid and how old they needed to be, then I needed to start looking at history and mythology to combine and figure out, well, why was he around, you know, for so long and nobody ever heard of him, you know? And that, the answer to that became, well, he was in hiding because he stole a sword from the Irish gods and they wanted to kill him. So he had to hide out from everybody for all that time. So then the action starts when he decides I'm not going to hide anymore. So that is kind of how I, I built everything up based around the character. The plot that happens is his own decision as a character to stop hiding and be, be you know, living life as a fugitive and uh, to take a stand. But of course, the consequences of that action kind of snowball on him. And, you know, that's where the series comes from. You know, it's basically uh, it all starts with him deciding I'm not going to run anymore. And I think that that's where your plot whatever it is, uh, should, you know, basically germinate from is from the seed of the character. So that's how I go. That's how I, that's how I, I roll. There's a great book by, uh, called Story Genius by Lisa Cron, and that's spelled C-R-O-N. That's a really good examination of how to build things out from your character, if you haven't read it yet. I have not, but I will certainly check it out. Uh, continuing on, do you have a specific, if you're, if you're world building, you know, as like a fantasy genre author, is there a certain source you go to first to start your world building or do you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you pull from existing material and how do you decide what you will pull from and what you will sort of come up with on your own? Okay, so yeah, um, believe it or not, Wikipedia is a great place to start because they are supposed to provide citations mm -hmm. for all of their facts. And that's what I go to because those citations wind up being primary sources. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to read to really get the original stuff, at least if you're talking about a lot of things that are history or mythology or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're building out stuff um, based on that, then Wikipedia is basically a gigantic source of original sources. And that's where I got a lot of the original source material on the Tua de Danon. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, Trinity College in Dublin, for example, they have these very old manuscripts written in Old Irish that they have translated into English. And they, they display them on the screen for you side by side. So you can see here's the old text. Now here's the English version of it. When they translated in English, of course, people writing way back when, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, did not have the sort of prose stylings that we are associated with, you know, that we're used to now. And uh, so it can be a little dry reading sometimes, but you realize that what they're describing is some pretty crazy stuff, but they, they don't necessarily do it in the most action-packed prose possible. So it can, be, uh, it can be a slog sometimes to read some of that old stuff, but it, it's then very rewarding to take some of these old stories and update them with modern prose, and, and everybody seems to enjoy it because they are great stories. Yeah. So that's what I do uh, to, to find out things for what I personally have to work with in my in my novels. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of other authors um, will use Wikipedia as a very starting point, you know, but again, they're always trying to go to a primary source, some sort of acknowledged scholar, maybe even peer-reviewed papers, things like that, mm -hmm. to find out information that they need. You've talked about Irish, you know, history and mythology. So, so <laughs> I don't know how to phrase this question exactly, but what, what uh, drove you to pull from Irish, like, backgrounds as a opposed to other historical cultures and histories. Well, I do wind up using some other stuff as well uh, during the course of the series. But the Druids uh, kind of started in Ireland, from what oh. we can tell. 
And uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, speculation about whether, you know, St. Patrick driving the snakes out of Ireland was really a metaphor for driving paganism out of Ireland, you know, driving the Druids out. The, the Druids uh, did kind of start there. And uh, we, we could tell that now from the archaeological record that Druidry basically started in Ireland and spread to the continent. The old uh, theory used to be that it was on the continent and spread out, but it was actually the other way around. So, yeah, Ireland had a great... Uh, influence uh, over, you know, the world that a lot of people didn't perhaps realize, uh, at least in the ancient world. So I I focused on that also because what we see in modern depictions of fairies really kind of comes from variations on the original Irish stuff. The, the Fae were supposed to be descendants of the Tua de Danon, who were driven underground and called the She by the Milesians, okay? So when they came to Ireland, they uh, had their iron and they defeated bronze, you know, that's what the Tua de Danon had, and they also defeated their magic with the iron, and that's where that whole thing about iron defeating the Fae kind of comes from. So... They, they supposedly went underground and started to become, at that point, worshipped as, uh, as gods more than just uh, magicians uh, of the old world. So, yeah, then their descendants are called the Fae. So the fairies were never friends of humanity. And, and that was something that I was, I was seeing, you know, Disney especially, making these little fairies, like, you know, that, that are like helping fairies. And I'm like, that's not... That's not how the fairies were supposed to, to go. In fact, uh, fairies were very scary, and people leaving milk out for fairies and things like that were so that the fairies wouldn't hurt them. <laughs> you know, it, it was that kind of, please don't hurt us, here's some milk cookies. You know, it, it, and so it, it changed over time because things weren't as scary. The natural world wasn't as scary anymore. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that old folklore and stuff like that got to be a little bit more harmless when the origins were, oh, it's actually quite harmful. So I wanted to take... Um, you know, things back to where the Fae were dangerous and because that's what they originally were. So I was trying to stay true to the, the old stuff or at least the spirit of the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I did make a change, I, I was trying to remain true to that original spirit. There you go. And I'm back. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that. I know I had a lot of fun with Kevin, and and he had a bunch of very awesome stuff to share. And funny enough, he's also the second Kevin we've had on the show, so I don't know, I thought that was kind of funny. But, you know, I hope you enjoyed. Kevin had a lot of very interesting things to share. And in next week's episode, we get to go a little bit deeper into the mythology that Kevin has put a lot of research into for his book series. Now, of course, if you are needing a little bit of a Kevin Hearn fill while you are waiting for next week's episode to come out, or if you're interested in checking out his work, which I would recommend you do. You can find him at Kevin Hearn. That is K-E-V-I-N-H-E-A-R-N-E.com. And he's also at Kevin Hearn on Instagram and Twitter. So you can go ahead and check out all his stuff there. And yeah, I highly recommend it. He's been delightful to have on the show and he was very interesting to talk to. And it was a lot of fun. So thank you, Kevin. And I am very excited to share the next half of the interview next week. Also, before I wrap up, I do want to mention something that is happening later today in a few hours, actually. So in Stillwater, which Story Arc is based out of, there is a rally being held in Lowell Park at 1 p.m. This is a hate is not welcome here rally in response to recent events. And it is a very, very good and wholesome movement, and it should be very celebrated. And if you're interested in going to the rally or showing support, there is information in the Pioneer Press that you can go check out. Now, I also want to mention that 
if you, for whatever reason, can't attend rallies or protests, that that is also totally okay. And know that I am one of you where I can't go to any of these events because I have a compromised immune system because of my arthritis and the medication I take for it. So it's very dangerous for me to go out into big groups like a rally or a protest. So know that even if you can't physically be there, just knowing that you can show your support in other ways and still get the word out about the movement, that is just as good as showing up to a rally. If you are able to attend, that is awesome. But if not, spreading the word, wonderful. So once again, that is the Hate Is Not Welcome Here rally being held in Lowell Park in Stillwater today, Wednesday at 1 p.m. And I will mention that today is the 1st of July. That is very exciting. Oh, the months really fly by, huh? Yes, I just thought I should mention that in case you are interested in attending and also just to put out there that COVID operation, of course, stands with them and the rally, even if the host cannot attend because my immune system consists of two whole white blood cells and nothing else. Well, now that will do it for me for today. So thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Once again, thank you to Kevin Hearn for being interviewed. I am very happy to share the next half of that interview with you next week. So stay tuned. This has been COVID Operation. I've been Peyton Zignego. Thank you very much. I will see you tomorrow. Stay safe out there. Peyton and Tapioca, we're out.